something and everything. My name is Ezra Hill, and my co-host Casey and I are going to be discussing a wide variety of topics from the perspective of two Midwestern middle-aged minds. We're not experts, just everyday ordinary people like you. We hope you might find our podcast inadvertently interesting and informative. Hopefully it'll amount to more than a hill of beans. Welcome to Crime Tales with the Hill of Beans. I'm Casey, your host. Join me as we explore this gripping story of mystery and crime. As a parent watches their child head off to college, they feel a mix of excitement and worry. Trusting the police and authorities to keep their child safe. They hope these protectors will watch over their child shielding them from any dangers on campus. It's a roller coaster of emotions, with each step towards independence feeling both thrilling and nerve-wracking. Yet there's also a lingering question. Will the college guardians prove trustworthy? This is a story filled with suspense, where the outcome is uncertain, but where parents hold on to hope that their child will be safe in the end. Lauren Jennifer McCluskey, 21 years old. Lauren was born in Berkeley, California on February 12, 1997. She moved to Pullman, Washington State, August 1998, when her parents, Matt and Jill McCluskey, joined Washington State University as professors. From an early age, she was bright sensitive and very active. She entered her first Junior Olympics track meet at the age of eight and set records in high jump, long jump, and 400 meter run. At age nine, she was told if she qualified for nationals, she could go. So of course, she qualified for nationals in the nine and 10 age group. She continued to compete nationally in high jump, hurdles, and multi events, earning USA track and field records and American top eight 19 times. As she competed nationally, she made friendships with athletes, their families, and coaches across the U.S. Lauren loved animals and volunteered at the Whitman County Humane Society, helping to socialize cats so they could be more adoptable. She had two beloved cats of her own, Fuzzy and then Victory. She completed her Pullman High School Senior Project at the WSU Center for Animal Well-Being. She also volunteered for the YMCA and Special Olympics. Lauren graduated from Pullman High with honors and accepted a track and field scholarship at the University of Utah to compete in the Pac-12 Conference. Her work ethic in the classroom, weight room, and on the track was exceptional. Her teammates and coaches were inspired and amazed at how she never complained, even when the weather was foul or practice was especially tough. Lauren has been described as quiet, but more accurately, she chose her words carefully. Her professors were delighted by how she was engaged and made incisive, on-point comments. In college, she truly blossomed. 
Lauren never had an unkind word to say about anyone. She loved being with her friends and was a great dancer. She had a strong singing voice, loved karaoke, and even did stand-up comedy. Lauren was also a Christian and had a gift as a writer. She was a deep, independent thinker with an interest in philosophy and strong sense of right and wrong. She was looking forward to graduating and finding a job in public relations or academic advising. It all started on a balmy September evening. As Lauren and her friend Alex ventured into the bustling streets of Salt Lake City. Their destination? The trendy London Bell Bar. As Lauren and Alex soaked in the vibrant atmosphere of the bar, a mysterious figure caught Lauren's eye. Tall, confident, and excluding charisma, Roland the Bouncer made quite the impression. There was an instant connection, a spark that ignited between Lauren and Roland. And as the night unfolded, Lauren found herself drawn to him in a way she had never experienced before. With a surge of boldness, Lauren took a leap of faith, scribbling her phone number on a cocktail napkin and handing it to Roland. Little did she know this impulsive act would set the wheels of fate in motion. The next morning, as Lauren and Alex reunited at their weekly church service, excitement filled the air. Roland had reached out, and plans for a date at the climbing gym were set in motion. From roses to romantic dinners, Roland had swept Lauren off of her feet painting a picture of love that felt destined to last. He was different, mature, grounded, and with a mysterious allure that captivated her heart. But amidst the whirlwind of emotions, doubts started to linger in the back of Lauren's mom's mind. As a devoted mother, she couldn't help but worry about the age difference and Roland's past. Yet she chose to trust her daughter's judgment, allowing her to navigate this new chapter of her life on her own terms. Little did they know this seemingly perfect romance would soon take a dark and tragic turn, shattering the illusion of happily ever after. As Lauren's relationship with Roland deepened, a cloud of unease settled over her and her friend Alex. What started as charming dates and romantic gestures soon morphed into a nightmare of control and manipulation. From the very beginning, Alex noticed something was off about Roland. His constant presence in Lauren's life, his demands for control, it all raised red flags. But Lauren, caught in those throes of infiltration, brushed aside her friend's concerns. Roland's possessiveness knew no bounds. He dictated what Lauren could wear, who she could see, and where she could go. His relentless interrogations and jealous outbursts left her feeling suffocated and afraid. Despite her friend's warnings, Lauren remained loyal to Roland, unable to break free from his grip. With each passing day, she grew more isolated, 
her spirit dimming under the weight of his control. But when the truth about Roland's deception came to light, a criminal past riddled with lies and manipulation, Lauren's world came crashing down. Faced with the reality of her situation, she knew she had to end things for good. Yet, even as Lauren summoned the courage to confront Roland and break free from his grasp, his hold on her tightened. His menacing presence lingered, his threats growing more sinister with each passing moment. With nowhere left to turn, Lauren reached out to her mother, Jill. Through tears and trembling words, she voiced her fear that Roland was dangerous, that her life was in danger. But as Lauren sought refuge in the arms of law enforcement, she found little solace. Despite the ominous texts and the looming threats, their response fell short, leaving her vulnerable and unprotected. As the darkness closed in around her, Lauren's fears grew more palpable, her sense of safety slipping away each passing moment. Will she find the courage to break free from Roland's grasp, or will she become another tragic victim of love gone wrong? But what happened the next day on October 13th stopped Lauren in her tracks. Roland texted her, telling her that he had a compromising photograph of the two of them together, and that unless she paid him $1,000, he would publish it online. Lauren panicked. The photo he had sent her clearly showed her face and the posters in her room. It would tarnish everything she had worked so hard for in her life to build. She was Lauren McCluskey, the nice small town girl, the wholesome track star. Her hundreds of track medals, her high GPA, her very identity, all of that seemed to be hanging in the balance. She was so ashamed, but she was also angry at him and at herself for falling for him in the first place. In a panic, she picked up her phone and Venmoed him $1,000. She called campus police and went down to the station. Lauren brought Alex with her, and Alex says they were both surprised when the two officers greeted them in the lobby of the station and did not at any point take them back to an interview room to be questioned privately about the matter. Alex says it seemed that the officers were not particularly concerned about Lauren's case, suggesting that perhaps it was a scam and someone had hacked into Roland's phone. According to Alex, one of the officers looked up Roland on the campus directory and told Lauren he seemed like a pretty good guy who had only been stopped for a traffic ticket on campus. It would later be revealed to Alex that they had looked up the wrong person in their database who had happened to be a student with the same name. In response, Lauren told the officers that Roland was a sex offender and showed them his mugshot. Still, Alex remembers that they didn't seem particularly worried. They told Lauren and Alex that a detective would be in touch on Tuesday. Unsatisfied with their contact with the campus police, Lauren then reached out to the Salt Lake City Police Department, but dispatch routed her back to the university police, saying that the extortion was under the university police's jurisdiction. 
Days later, on October 19th, Lauren still hadn't heard anything back from the campus police detective assigned to her case. So she called Salt Lake City Police again and was again rerouted back to the campus police. A detective returned her call and told her she wouldn't be back at work until October 23rd, four days later, but suggested Lauren should call back if she got another message in which Roland was attempting to lure her somewhere. That weekend, Lauren sent three screenshots to the campus police showing Roland's criminal history and continued harassment. On Friday night, October 19th, Lauren and Alex went to the Lake Effect, a different bar in downtown Salt Lake City. When they got back to campus, Lauren confided in Alex that she was still stressed about Roland. On Monday, October 22nd, Lauren received another alarming text this time from someone claiming to be the deputy chief of campus police, asking her to go to the police station. Lauren called campus police and the detective who took the call told her not to respond. Lauren knew it was Roland and called Alex to tell her. Alex asked if she had sent the information to the police and Lauren texted her that afternoon to confirm that she had. After this, Alex never heard from Lauren again. Around 3 p.m. that day, Roland snuck into Lauren's apartment building and had been waiting for her in the lobby. Around 8.20 p.m., Lauren was returning from class when Roland confronted her in the parking lot outside of her dorm. At this time, she was on the phone with her mother who had just put her on speaker so her dad could hear her from the other room. After Lauren screamed and the line went dead, Roland grabbed her roughly, causing her to drop her backpack and phone. In the meantime, back in Pullman, Matt and Jill, her parents, were frantically trying to figure out what had happened. When the line dropped, Matt first thought that Lauren had been in a car accident. But as Jill and Matt repeated her name, over and over again with no answer, it was clear to both of them what had happened. Roland or his friends had grabbed her. Matt, her dad, picked up his phone to dial 911 and left the other phone line open in case Lauren were to call back. Five minutes later, they heard a young woman's voice, but it was not Lauren's. It was a medical student who said that Lauren's computer and backpack were on the ground, but Lauren was nowhere to be seen. At 9.55 p.m., Lauren's coach called Jill to deliver the devastating news. While searching the parking lot, police found McCluskey's body in the backseat of a car. Rowan had shoved her into the backseat of a car and shot her multiple times. After this, Roland then called a woman he had met on a dating site and asked her to pick him up. They went to dinner and he went to her home downtown, where Roland showered. Afterwards, she dropped him off at a coffee shop. Later that night, the woman Roland met on a dating site recognized him from the news and called the police. Salt Lake City Police found him shortly after midnight and followed Roland into the Trinity AME Church. As the police entered, Roland shot himself to death. 
In the aftermath of Lauren's tragic death, a flood of new information emerged, shedding light on missed opportunities and systematic failures. Reports unveiled that Roland was on parole during the shooting, a fact unknown to authorities when Lauren sought help from the university police. Despite Lauren's calls reporting harassment and extortion, university police failed to verify Roland's parole status, potentially missing a chance to prevent tragedy. As details of Roland's violent past surfaced, an attempted sexual assault in 2004, admissions of rape, and threats of violence, it became clear that the signs were there, but action was lacking. University president initiated an independent investigation into the handling of Lauren's case, revealing numerous oversights and missed chances to intervene. Recommendations for improvement were made, including hiring a victim advocate and providing comprehensive training on dating violence. However, the report's conclusion that Lauren's murder couldn't have been prevented left her family reeling. Despite acknowledging systematic weakness, the university's response fell short of accountability. Matt and Jill McCleskey, determined to honor their daughter's memory, contemplate legal action against the University of Utah, seeking not for personal gain, but for the justice and systematic reform. In the pursuit of accountability, they demand recognition of the failures that led to Lauren's death, while University of Utah police declined comment. The Salt Lake City Police Chief acknowledged the need for collective improvement, emphasizing the importance of proactive measures to prevent future tragedies. As the search for answers continues, one thing remains clear. Lauren's memory will not fade quietly. Her legacy serves as a catalyst for change, inspiring a commitment to accountability and a vow to protect those in need. Nearly half of female college students in dating relationships report instances of violence and abusive behaviors, with women aged 16 to 24 experiencing intimate partner violence at a rate nearly three times the national average. What sets Lauren's case apart is not the prevalence of dating violence, but rather her early recognition of the danger she faced and her courageous decision to seek help from the authorities tasked with ensuring her safety. Despite her efforts and those of her loved ones, Lauren's pleas for assistance were largely disregarded, with her messages going unanswered or passed around without meaningful action. This failure to respond left Lauren vulnerable and increasingly distressed. Lauren's story transcends mere instances of dating violence, shedding light on a broader societal issue highlighted by movements like Me Too. These movements underscore not only the actions of perpetrators, but also the systematic failures within institutions such as Hollywood, universities, and law enforcement agencies, which often protect offenders while sidelining or dismissing victims. Ultimately, Lauren's tragic fate raises critical questions. Was her murder a result of the authorities' failure to take her concerns seriously 
And did gender bias contribute to this lack of attention and action? Utah State has agreed to pay over $10 million to Lauren McCluskey's family after her tragic death in 2018. The settlement acknowledges the preventable nature of her murder and allocates $10.5 million to her parents, with the promise that the funds will support the Lauren McCluskey Foundation, dedicated to enhancing campus safety. Additionally, the university will contribute $3 million to the foundation. Thanks for tuning in to Crime Tells with the Hill of Beans, hosted by me, Casey. We appreciate you joining us, and your support means a lot, and we're thrilled to bring you more mysteries soon. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to stay updated on our latest episodes. Stay curious and safe, and thanks for listening.